Welcome, everybody, to Doing Business with a Servant's Heart. And we have another episode of Another Servant. And now this gentleman I met a few weeks ago, he's better servant than me. And I serve a lot, but he really focuses on helping people, bringing value. And I can't wait to get this show started so you can learn all about Hamza. Hamza, welcome to the show. Oh, man, Steve, I am I am speaking with the godfather himself. <laughs> I mean, I, I see what you do. In, in the pre-call, uh, you were just connecting me left, right, and center with your network. And I immediately thought of that, that scene from The Godfather. It goes like, uh, someday, and that day may never come, I'll call upon you to do a service for me. But until that day, accept this referral. And you, man, I'm indebted to you. You've already connected me with like four people in your network. I'm expecting a barrage of emails after this. Holy smokes, Steve, I'm here. I'm here with you, man. This is so cool. Thank you. <laughs> That's so awesome. It's one of my favorite movies, being Italian hey, too. And there you know, you my, my dad's side Italian. And I love, great impression, by the way. Hey, I'm, I'm I've only watched that movie probably 70 times. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I understood your, your accent was perfect. Well, let's start in somewhat the beginning. All right. Why are you doing what you're doing? What, what got you going? Ooh, you know what? I recently wrote about this, and uh, I think had you asked me this question two weeks ago, I would have spent the entire podcast trying to revisit that journey that brought me here. But I think I can now sum it up in the following idea. I've been trying to find my place in the world. I've been trying to find my place in a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world. And I've encountered so much resistance, and it's only through family, friends, mentors, colleagues, educators, and people behaving and acting through, I should say, uh, a servant mindset, leading with a servant's heart that I've been able to enjoy the life that I currently enjoy. So I'm in a rush right now to try and breathe that spirit back into the universe to pay it forward and to help as many people find their place in a increasingly volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, brittle, anxious, non-linear, and incomprehensible world, sir. Love that you said that because I know people in the audience are hearing that going, I'm in that mode right now. That's where I'm at. And you give them hope. Well, Steve, it, it, it's interesting, right? I, I In the pre-call, I, I said to you that you exemplify that Zig Ziglar quote. And I think I'm going to get this wrong. See, I can memorize Don Corleone quotes, but I forget Zig Ziglar <laughs> quotes. He said something to the effect of, you can have everything you want if you help enough people get what they want. That's the gist of it. And the whole idea is just provide value, be of service, grant favors, just go out of your way to help as many people as possible, even though it seems counterproductively that you're going to lose in the process. But if you believe in karma or if you just believe in the dynamics of the universe and things are deterministic, that energy will find its way back around into your life. And this has been true for my entire career. I now am celebrating 10 years of delivering keynote speeches. Uh, as of March 14th, it would have been 10 years from the first speech that I did into the most recent speech that I did. And I promise you that I have done more pro bono gigs. I have spent more time helping people doing small engagements, sometimes for an audience of two, than I have been enjoying this career, being signed to Speaker Spotlight and earning the money that I'm, I'm, I'm earning, uh, traveling the world in the way that I'm traveling and speaking to these marquee clients. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Most of my career has been spent serving, being of service, providing value, giving, giving, and giving. And I feel like only now at this point in my life am I starting to receive. And it feels strange to me. I'm enjoying receiving from the universe, but I, I don't want to keep the things that I'm getting. I want to keep on 
paying it back and putting it back into the circular economy. That's because you're so focused on serving like I am, which I love. And you made a good comment there. You spoke to just two people. Yeah. The and best I, talk I've ever done, by the way. There you go. Because you know what? We so focused on results and what's happening. Those two people could have been affected more than you had 200 or 2000 listening totally. to. And you'll, you would do that. And I want people to understand that you you can serve the little or you can serve the many. It's still serving. Correct. 100%. And, and there's a, this quote from Seneca who said, the shortest path to wealth is the contempt of wealth. And I think that this can be applied to any kind of metric, whether you're talking about money, views, audience, whatever the case may be. I have never said no to any speaking or podcast opportunity. I remember I did a podcast once with a guy in India who had one subscriber on YouTube. And I gave him the same quality podcast that I'm hopefully bringing to your very large and engaged audience as I would to any audience. If I'm on Joe Rogan, it doesn't matter. If I'm on yeah. Steve's show, if I'm on Buddy's podcast, I'm the same because I don't actually see these metrics. They don't, they, I don't, I don't care about them. They're not important to me. What's important is ultimately the qualitative effect that I have on the other person. And I take the work that I do very seriously. It doesn't matter if there's two people in the audience or there's you know 20,000 in the audience. Everybody who is there is gifting me their time. They're gifting me their attention. They're opening up their mind and their hearts to me. And so I feel like I have a obligation in that moment to be of service. Yeah. No, and I love that. I've talked to people that have done workshops with nobody there. They still went through them. Of course. You have to, man. It's it's your exactly your time practice and all that that comes with that. Um, serving, how'd you build the serving muscle? I call it the serving muscle. You got it. It's a skill you got to learn. How did you build it? I'm very you lucky. Do it so got, well, by the way. I, I appreciate that. And I'm very lucky. I think it's a twin experiences. Number one, being raised by my mom and my dad, Mustafa and Aisha Khan. If I stand tall, it's because I'm on the shoulders of two five foot giants. Um, these are the most selfless people on the planet. I mean, truly, I, I could I could cry thinking about the sacrifices that they made for my sister and I, they put their entire life, they put their lives, I should say, joint lives as, as a couple, but also individually as a man and a woman on pause to be of service to me and my sister. Their entire life was dedicated after they conceived um, my sister and I to, to helping us grow. And I think about this all the time. Uh, you know, I don't have kids yet, but should the day come where, uh, you know, my partner and I, we have our kids or we adopt kids, whatever the case may be, I'll need to switch my mindset and truly put my servant leadership, put my servant's heart to the test. Because if I'm doing things for myself at that point, when I have kids, I'm being selfish. Everything I need to be doing is for them. So I got to witness, I guess, through courtside seats, what it looks like to be a servant in your most private moments. And so I got to see all of the benefits that came to my parents in the form of respect, admiration, the circular economy that I alluded to, all the favors they were able to accumulate in their life, the network they were able to fall back on during hard times, that only came from adopting a servant's disposition and just being in a constant state of giving. So that was that. And then I was also raised in an Abrahamic tradition. I grew up in an Islamic household. Mm -hmm. I was raised as a Muslim. And it shares the same basic tenets as Christianity, as Judaism, and really, honestly, all of the other main religions in the world. And they're all about service. The, the, the common thread that holds together every pro-human religion in the world um, is just that. It's about make it about other people. Help people, especially those who are experiencing oppression, to transcend those circumstances of poverty, ignorance, and vulnerability. You know, I love that Islam, Christianity, Judaism, and all these world religions, 
they're really focused on compassion, going beyond pity, going beyond sympathy, going beyond empathy towards the active form of wanting to relieve other people's suffering. And that's compassion. So again, I got it from my parents manifesting the values that they were raised in, but also just being absolute menches in the same way that you are. That's fantastic. And and you're right. I tell people all the time, Hamza, I know you'll agree. When you serve somebody, give them a law of increase from Think and Grow Rich or value, whatever that form is, we always smile. Every time 100%. you serve somebody, right? You, you're happy. I have never felt good, Steve, honestly, by winning a competition. I can win a I can win a game with my friends and I feel good in that moment. Yes. But you know, I don't get any satisfaction from another person's defeat. I don't get any satisfaction from another person being crushed, even though that was the context in which I grew up. You know, I grew up on gangster rap essentially. That was another socializing agent in my life. 50 cents, get rich or die trying. Very much about zero sum games, if you will. I need to win and other people need to lose, essentially. It's that D factor of personality traits. It's maximizing individual utility while accepting, disregarding, or provoking the disutility of others. That might feel good in the moment, but you've still unbalanced an equation. And that equation is going to come back to you at some point in the future. And you're going to have to pay for that, um, you know, that, that, that elapsed energy, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. Some people in the audience are going to say this because I'm going to ask you because I know they're thinking this. You came from a good environment, Hamza. What Mm. would you tell somebody in the audience that not come from that environment and still be successful like you are and be a servant? Do you have any tips for those people? It's interesting, right? So I I will say that I did have a good environment in terms of my parents. Um, They were loving they were kind, they were generous, they were supportive, but I don't know if I would just paint my entire childhood as being okay. uh, one one characterized within a good environment. I would say that I grew up in a priority neighborhood for most of my uh, childhood and adolescent years. Uh, I grew up in neighborhoods with no role models. My parents went through a long period of turbulence, um, you know, and, 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 you know, they're alive today and they might listen to this podcast, so I, I want to sort of protect their secrets, but Let's just put it this way. Uh, it wasn't easy growing up in the household that I grew up in. Uh, there were moments where my mind went to some dark places and I considered doing some things that uh, you know w- would have resulted in me not being here in the in the way that I'm being here with you today. Mm-hmm. So all of this is to say, um, there were great things about my childhood and in the circumstances in which I grew up, but there were also things that offered a considerable amount of resistance. And so I would say this, for anybody listening to this episode who is feeling stuck right now, I think it's important that you prioritize momentum over goals. I think the worst thing that you can do when you're stuck is to fixate on a distant point in the future and then not do anything about it. So often people are obsessed about making the right decision, you know, and they wait, they bide their time. They think I'm going to land this perfect job. I'm going to find the person of my dreams. And they set these lofty expectations on themselves, but their reluctance to pursue and and take the first step towards achieving any for, form of momentum is inversely proportional to the size of the goal that they establish for themselves. So I think it's important for them to just make a decision. It doesn't have to be the right decision. You can make a decision and then make it right. You know what I mean? Indecisiveness, Hamza, is an epidemic in this world. I mean, you probably haven't, I've run into so many people, let me get back to you. I'm not sure. And they take months, you know, weeks and months to make decisions and fear has brought that in. 
you know, at the time we're recording this, the banks, you know, we have an issue with the banks oh, is right down, right. you know, another fear that's going to cause indecisiveness. And, and you're so right. You've dropped a ton of knowledge so far. This has been so great. And you and, ask great questions, or you get the best out of me, man. Thank you. <laughs> Let's shout out your contact info, how people sure, can connect man. with you. They have have that desire. Yeah, I've consolidated everything for uh, people. It's at humzacon.ca. That's H-A-M-Z-A-K-H-A-N.ca. And for your Canadian listeners, that would be H-A-M-Z-A-K-H-A-N. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. There you go. You got Canadians. a worldwide audience, man. <laughs> exactly. He works everybody. I love it. Well, let's talk about you're an author. Yes, and sir. I'm excited. You and, and you're so passionate about, you know, I was going to ask you about your, you know, books that you like. Let's talk about your book because okay. you know better than anything. You know, it's interesting. You talked about, I mean, we, we've covered a lot of ground over here. And you really got me thinking about why I have this desire today to help people thrive through periods of change. And I think it's because so much of my early life was spent waiting for change to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And I was just being reactive. I was in a neighborhood that I didn't want to be in. I was in a family structure that felt oppressive at times. I was in relationships that bogged me down. I was in jobs where I, was, I felt neglected in, in workplaces that were dehumanizing. And uh, I was just waiting. And I was reactive to the changing world around me. But the world around me as you know, and and I think you, you mentioned the banks over here, evidence mm -hmm. of a world in which we have aging systems, persistent disruption, um, asymmetry, um, polarization, and trust diminishment. The, the only constant about our world in 2023, and this will certainly be true for at least the next decade, I would say, minimum, the only constant about this world is constant change. And there's that old adage, you know, uh, do nothing and nothing will be done. Except now, if you do nothing, something will be undone. The law of entropy will take hold. And entropy yeah. is a scientific concept which explains how if left unchecked, disorder and randomness tend to increase over time. And so parents of toddlers listening to this podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> if left unchecked, disorder and randomness will increase over time. And so the first book that I wrote was called The Burnout Gamble. And I was just so reactive at that point in my life, um, beholden to external pressures, the pressure to be perfect, efficient, progressive, satisfied, innovative. You can give yourself up to your work, but the goalpost will just keep on expanding. What's that saying? The hardest worker gets the biggest shovel. The reward for good work is more work. I worked myself to the bone. And by the end of this long stretch of working 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six to seven days a week for an entire year, I burned out in spectacular fashion. And in trying to understand what had happened to me, because I love capitalism back then, but apparently capitalism didn't love me back. <laughs> In order to understand, Steve, what happened, I had to do a deep dive into uh, who I was and what my relationship with stress was and understand that I had an unhealthy relationship with stress that manifested in this complete loss of energy, cynicism, and ineffectiveness at work. So my journaling process, my, my, my recovery process, I documented and made it actionable in the form of my first book, The Burnout Gamble. And then I wrote another book just at the beginning of the pandemic during the fear months, March, April, and May of 2020, the weird sourdough baking competition months or the time where we had the great toilet paper wars of 2020. I wrote a book about leadership, specifically about this phenomenon that I noticed where leaders who seemed to step up during times of crisis weren't actually stepping up. They were actually sinking back, right. falling back to their level of training, values, and preparation. And we're now seeing that the leaders who have been able to shepherd their organizations and their people through the pandemic who are thriving right now, 
I think the, the the common denominator across all of them is that they have a servant's heart. They're putting the needs of their people first. And the leaders who've done the opposite, who put profits, who put any other priority before their people, they're not doing too well. So those are the I, two books that I have out in the world right now. Now that book and that comment, which is beautiful, can happen in a family too. It's Absolutely, interesting. Man. You need to be a leader as a father, leader as a mother, right? Sure. And that idea of the Leviathan, right? So, you know, yeah. organizations are just... Uh, macrocosms of the family structure. You know, a family is a microcosm of a neighborhood. A neighborhood is a microcosm of a large company. A large company is a microcosm of a country. A country is a microcosm of the global community. So I think the dynamics uh, are the same, no matter what the size of the organization is. And I truly believe that how you do one thing is how you do all things. And so if you are, you know, terrible to your employees, there's also a good chance that you're terrible to your children and to your partner. Uh, and if you're wonderful to your children and your partner, there's a good chance that you're also beloved by your employees. That's a great comment because that's the internal spirit of you. Absolutely. It's always going to come out. The, the, you know, it's like people talk about those lottery winners or people that make a ton of money. Does it change them or doesn't change them? We always get that question. Hey, what would you do with a million dollars? Yeah. You know, until you have it, it's really hard to answer that question. You can kind of give some insight. Right. Right. Until you're in the middle of the chaos, like pandemic, or yeah. now with the economy, inflation that's going on now, that's where the true leader comes out. The true, and the people that have survived the pandemic and the people that have not, right? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Totally, yeah. man. So in, why did you write these books? Well, the first book was written uh, with a sense of urgency because I realized that we were sitting on top of a problem that had been festering for a very long time. We weren't constructively speaking about burnout. We weren't addressing that burnout was uh, was declared or stress. Its underlying problem was declared as the health epidemic of the 21st yeah. century. And everybody was going about their business in the early, I would say, 2010s at the time that I wrote it. I wrote it and started writing it in like 2014, 2015. Uh, around that time, this toxic hustle culture was alive and well. It began in the tech sector in Silicon Valley, found its way to Southeast Asia, where they promoted this idea of the 996, 997 work week, this idea that you should give yourself up to your company and be tethered to your desk. And the company would take care of all of your needs. In exchange, you would work 14, 16 hour, 24 hour workdays. So I felt a need to sound the alarm and let my friends and family know that if this happened to me, somebody who was in a leadership position who had all the best benefits offered by my company in an environment where I had supportive leadership and I was told you can bring your whole self to work, Everybody else who's in a more dehumanizing workplace, absolutely screwed. And now here we are seeing this in 2023. Burnout has, is, is just, it's a conflagration. I mean, everyone is going through burnout. I, I did a talk recently for one of Canada's largest integrated health systems of nearly 150,000 people. And I asked the question, when was the last time you burned out? And I gave a bunch of options. And most people reported being burned out uh, within the last month of my asking that question, which is surreal when you think about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we say burnout very casually, but having done the research, I know what the real human costs are, are on, uh, with regards to burnout. You know, just to put this in perspective, every year, according to the United Nations, and I think this is a conservative estimate, 2.8 million people die every single year from workplace-related stress. And if you're doing the math, that's more than two times the amount of deaths caused by COVID with barely a fraction of the noise being made that we heard in the last three years. So that's the reason why I wrote this book as an antidote, as a call to action, as a warning sign for my friends, family, and my larger community, the global community. 
And then I wrote Leadership Reinvented because I felt like we needed to shift our attention away from management and the dehumanizing practices that do lead to burnout and usher in a new system. I felt very profoundly in the first few months of the pandemic that we are entering into a portal. That's how that, that was my experience. I felt like humanity was entering into a new paradigm. And so to be prepared to seize the opportunity offered by the paradigm to shift our attention away from profits and uh, asymmetry, we needed to move towards a more positive sum system in which we were focused on people, uh, employees, customers, communities, and especially the planet. So I guess both books were written with a servant's heart, if you will. They were written for other people. I can tell you as an author, I have not made a lot of money from both of the books that I've published. I mean, I guess, yeah, sure, I, in terms of what I've made as a result of speaking engagements and publicity, yeah, these books have paid for themselves several times over. But there was no real desire to uh, make money from the sale of books themselves. So much so that I actually give away the books for free. You know, if I run into people at a conference and they're like, oh, I want your book. I'm like, give me your address. I'll, don't worry about it. It's going to cost me 15, 20 bucks. It doesn't matter, man. What's more important is that you have the ideas in the book. You have an open heart and open mind willing to receive this idea. I wrote it for you. So why would I make this difficult for you to access these ideas? So powerful. That's the, the servant's heart right there. And it's interesting you talk about burnout. And if audience, if you haven't burnout or leadership help, you should be reading anyways, but here's two books to help you. And I'll tell you a quick burnout story. My wife works okay. for Trader Joe's. She just okay. became a manager. Good for her, man. Congrats. Thank you. She's excited. And here's the culture of this company. She gets more vacation time. You know what they told her? Use it. Yes. We don't give it to you. Not, we want you to spend time with your family. Of course, man. Hamza, how many companies have you heard that do that? You deal I, with you a lot know, of companies. Sinister companies that do the exact opposite. I, I, I did a contract yeah. once with a tech company that had in its policy unlimited vacations. But if you took that unlimited vacation, if you took them up on the offer, there was a social ostracization that happened yeah. within the organization where the optics were bad. You know, snide comments were made about like, hey, are you enjoying that, that that vacation? When are you coming back into the office? So this was, uh, you know, I, did, <laughs> I don't know why this phrase came to mind. Terrible phrase. It was just lipstick on a pig. Yep. Window dressing. Because you're trying to do good something. You're trying to serve, but sure. you pull the serve right back out of it. Yeah, maybe we can come up with our own term over here. So yeah. We can call it like servant washing. That's there what some of these go. companies do, right? <laughs> servant washing. You just see these leaders say the right thing. You see these organizations post the right thing in terms of their mission, vision, values, principle, purpose, and all their you know bells and whistles for their employee benefits packages. Yeah. But the reality on the ground is very different. And this is actually being excoriated through the research that I'm doing. I'm looking at some of the world's best companies, and I'm studying anonymous reviews on things like Glassdoor, Blind, Indeed, so on and so forth. And I'm also looking at the worst companies. And what I'm finding is that you're likely to burn out in some of the worst companies in the world just as much as you are at the best companies in the world. And it rarely yeah. has anything to do with the benefits being offered and oh, the it's... vacation policies. It all comes back down to leadership. And whoever told your wife, go take your vacation, that's that makes all the difference. That that's really where where you know the opera, opera, operationalization and the maximization of these leadership values comes into play at the level of leadership. You know, I'm gonna throw something out there. I, I'm I'm looking to write a book, and I'm, we're going to talk more about it. Sure, man. Leadership can also come from the customer side, and I want the audience yeah, to hear this. You go out to a restaurant and you complain, 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 yell at the server. It's not our fault. The food's cold, came late, whatever that situation is. That's not serving. That's nope. selfish, right? Dude, you said it best. 
right? So, you know, that's so, really cool that you actually positioned selfishness on a spectrum over there. I, I, I like that a lot. The opposite of being a servant is being selfish. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Because I know where to send the royalty check, man. I'm going to yeah, you. Hey, <laughs> I know where to find you. Because it's interesting. I interviewed over 100 managers at restaurants. And how okay. I did it was got done with a meal and I said, Hey, Joe, the man, you know, hey, Joe, the waiter, can you bring your manager over? And of course, they give you like a, this. Oh my what God. I do. <laughs> yeah. I did something wrong. right away. Everybody, uh, I get passionate about this. Go, there's something negative happening there. So the manager comes over with this deer in the headlights. And yeah. I'll go, Tony, Joe was so fantastic. He was talking to my wife. We were communicating. He was fun to be with. That's a great waiter, great staff yes. that you have. He goes, yes. oh, my God, I, I appreciate that. And I get really excited. And I go, Tony, the manager, how many times do you hear that? He goes, I've been with the restaurant five years. I've right. never heard this. Think about that. Is that non, I mean, is from a customer side, everybody talks about the negative. That's not yeah. serving unless you do it right. Of course you go, Hey, you know, I just want to let you know the food was cold. Yeah. But yeah to yeah. go and say the food's cold. I want my money back or give me a new meal or give me a coupon. You can still do that. I want to get in the weeds with that, but we all need to be leaders in all areas of our life. It's the point I'm getting at, right? Well, hundred percent. Let me, let me build on that example yeah. that you gave over there. I'm so glad you brought that up with Joe, the waiter and Tony, the manager, right? So there's this thing called the employee customer profit chain. And the idea is this, how you treat your employees is how they're going to treat the customers. And if you take care of your employees, your employees will take care of the customers and the customers will take care of the profits. But leaders get this bass, bass backwards. Wow. Ass backwards. <laughs> they try to take care of the profits, but they, <laughs> I guess it works. And and they disabled and, and they actually destroy that profit chain through the level of profit all the way through customers and employees. So a good example is this. I want the listeners to next time notice this. How... How, what their interaction with a frontline staff is, sorry, let me let me rephrase this. Your, your interaction with a frontline staff member of any organization is a reflection of the leadership. Let's use the example that you just gave right now. So let's say you had a negative experience with Joe. Joe was rude. Joe was short. Joe didn't refill your water. Uh, Joe got your order wrong. Joe was combative. Now, one of two things is true over here. Either Joe is overwhelmed, understaffed, burnt out, has been neglected, underpaid, whatever the case may be. All of those things, all those factors fall within the purview of the leader. Now, let's assume that the leader is human-centric. They are a servant. And they've been working their ass off to try and empower Joe to do a really good job. But Joe is still behaving in that way. That is also a reflection of the leadership. In scenario A, Joe has been systematically disempowered by Tony, the leader. Yep. And in scenario B, Tony has failed to do the servant thing that they should have done, which is to help Joe exit the organization swiftly. In both situations, Tony is behaving selfishly. In scenario A, Tony is neglecting provoking and even accepting the disutility of Joe. And in scenario B, they're just neglecting that Joe is hurting and they're insisting on keeping Joe trapped in this organization to the detriment of the customer. So in either scenario, the responsibility for that interaction that you had with Joe falls within Tony's purview. So now you can take this model and apply it to anything. You can apply it to the person checking your tickets when, you, uh, when, when, when you're going uh, you know, for, for, for a movie. 
you go to AMC and you scan your ticket, if you get a smile, if you get somebody just pointing you in the right direction or the wrong direction, or somebody's like, oh, welcome. Yeah, Creed 3, you're watching Creed 3. Fantastic movie. I hope you enjoy it. That is a reflection of their manager and of their manager and of their manager all the way to the CEO of AMC Theaters. Great, great point. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. And I didn't even think of it that depth. And you're going to be part of my book because I'm going to have you as a chapter because that's exactly what needs to be be, be fixed. And, and and as I say in a grocery store, and we'll, we got to close up here because I could talk to you all day. You know, <laughs> we've all been to a grocery store. There's lines out the door. It's You go at 6 o'clock. It's the busiest time. You always, most a, a lot of the time you get a customer going, get another clerk. Where's that yeah. clerk? Yeah. Look at their Zebian. Again, we're not in their shoes. Maybe three people didn't show up for work. Sure. Maybe their supplies, whatever that is. As the customer side, you could just politely grab somebody. Hey, is there a way we can get more open? Oh, here's our situation. Okay. Instead of screaming and yelling. Negative negativity never brings positivity. It brings Absolutely. more negativity. So uh, man, I, I like I said earlier, we could talk all day. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, we'll do, we'll do more we're coming to sure. yeah, we'll jump. You're gonna definitely be back on part two, part three, part four. By the I way, appreciate Creed it. Three. vice versa when I get my podcast back up and running as well, man. Yeah, I'd love to. Creed three, I just watched. It's fantastic. So if good. you're I watched it twice, three. actually. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, thank you, Hamza, for being on this. This is an absolute we, pleasure, man. Uh, let's shout out the company that you're part of. I want people to know that you have a company as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's Skills Camp. That's S K I L S C A M P. And the website is skillscamp.co. We're a leading soft skills development company. Great. So reach out to them about that. Reach out to them about anything in this uh, uh, show that really resonated with you. He's willing to talk to anybody. You've got his, what's your contact info again? They can sure, reach out it's to you. Hamza Khan, H A M Z A K H A N dot C A. One more time, H A M Z A K H A N dot C A. All of my information and links are there. If you need burnout help or leadership help, get the book because I'm going to get them as well. With that being said, I, you know, you've given us so much golden nuggets. The knowledge you spit out today, I sound like a kid now, but <laughs> <laughs> it's been so good. I've learned so much more about you. But what's one tip you can leave the audience so that they can leave here that would help them them grow in any in their business or, or personal life? You know, I'll go back to something that I said earlier. You can't always make the right decision, but you can make a decision and then make it right. 